Hey everybody, how you doing? It's Peter here and it is time for episode 59 of the PDG Advertising Podcast. So I'm doing this podcast on uh, Sunday night. It's the 13th of October 2019 and I'm prepping for the week ahead and I'm very conscious that we didn't do any podcast last week so I want to get ahead of myself and this is episode 59 of the PDG advertising podcast so episode 60 feels like a a little um moment to celebrate and on every 10th podcast we update a a cover photo and it's really nice because this coming uh, this past week, we did a photo shoot at PDG Advertising, updating all of our LinkedIn photos and some photos for the website. You can check it out at pdgadvertising.com to see myself, Anthony and Nicole all on the website with nice new photos. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the team to create a cover with my face on it or the team's face on it. I'm not entirely sure probably my face on it for this next 10 from episode 60 to episode 70 and then hopefully we'll have the team get involved with that that would be pretty cool but this week coming up is going to be a pretty big week i we have um one of our team members is going over to see uh two of our customers in london and I will be um, going to see the boys model this week on Wednesday. That's the Young Enterprise Northern Ireland um, team, business team that I support. And we will be progressing their business idea and working with them on that. We've got a whole bunch of customer um, operational stuff to do got a whole bunch of sales stuff to do there's potentially some media um appearances from pdg advertising in the week this week coming so i'm really looking forward to um next week and, and hence why i'm taking the time on sunday as i kind of always do but it feels really important that i do this today and work out what our overall structure and plan will be next week something we're it's a week we're really looking forward to and I think just taking a little bit of time at the start helps to um, have an even better week than you would have without that. So I would like to give a shout out to Brendan Gallagher, um, the photographer who took our photos for PDG Advertising. It was a really nice experience and it's not just about the photos. It was really good for a little bit of team bonding, I think. We had fun while we were doing it and Brendan made it really, really easy and the photos were exactly what we wanted. So I was really, really pleased with that. And I really recommend Brendan. I mean, it it's important that suppliers do what they say they'll do, arrive on time, help you if you're not really sure what you're doing, help you out and, you know, work with you. And Brendan certainly did that. So was very happy with that. So if you need photos done for your business or weddings or any other event that you've got, I would suggest 
um, and recommend Brendan Gallagher Photography. You probably get him on on Instagram. We'll uh, we'll tag Brendan everything that we do concerning those photos. Um, we just really appreciate it. We had this week. We we've been doing something a little bit different at PDG Advertising. So you might have noticed a lot more Instagram stories going out across our Instagram channel, and we are taking turns in it, turns at it within the team. Um, one day I will do the stories, and I'm laughing here now, smiling, thinking about it because I love doing Instagram stories. Um, I don't think they're particularly good, but. I really enjoy doing them and I guess if you enjoy it and it's remotely on brand then it then it works out and it's um it helps us to learn about how the social networks work and in particularly how stories work and over time uh, we'll do better ones and and the team also does the same so the team take turns um Anthony and Nicole will take turns to do stories as well and I suspect that there's going to be a lot more but last week I sent out a message saying um, send us through any questions you have for our podcast and anything that you would like answered. And we had some brilliant questions came in and I'm going to go through them now on the PDG Advertising Podcast, episode 59. But I have also written up blog posts for each of them as well. I think they're very valid questions, very valuable questions. And I really appreciate uh, the two people that uh, asked them. And I'd like to um, get more questions in from you guys to help with what you're doing. And it could be anything in terms of digital advertising. Um, if it's something you think that we have any knowledge on, I will be more than happy to spend time going over it. And it really helps me to understand what's important to followers and what's important to the, the group of, of people that we have following us. So the first question that I had was from Lewis and it was how to grow your Instagram to 10,000 users fast and it's such a brilliant question and it gets asked so so often to us at PDG Advertising um, it's not exclusive to Instagram this is asked on Facebook for Twitter uh, I guess that's kind of it maybe email marketing about growing your growing your list but it's it's what that 10,000 users. Now, on Instagram, it's a little bit different because at 10,000 users, you unlock a few features of Instagram business pages. So I can see why it's important to get up to that level. But those features aren't important enough to sacrifice the quality of your audience. So there's a couple of problems that I have with the question. It's a brilliant question, but there's a couple of problems that I have with it. And one is how to grow your Instagram to 10,000 users. Well, why 10,000? Is there a reason why you need to get that big? Um, why do you need to be at that level? Can you not be at 100? And if you had 100 engaged users and 100 customers, um, would that not be enough? Is that is that not enough for, for what you need? And then the other one is the word fast. I'm not sure about that word at all. I think that the most things that we do fast, we rush. And it, it's really interesting. The um philosopher alan watts i've listened to some of his stuff and it's really insightful but there's the the question how to grow your instagram to ten thousand users fast is really um harps back to it, it reminds me of a story that uh alan watts told and he 
he said that if the purpose if if the if the goal of a piece of music was to get to the end of it quickly then the best musicians composers conductors would be the ones that um brought the listener through the piece of music as quickly as possible and when you do that you could end up with like just one note and that would be it over and that would make them the best musicians conductors or composers and that that has to be wrong the musical piece is a journey and it's something to bring people along so if you're rushing that to the end surely that that makes the the piece of very low quality and doesn't um, put that energy and effort into every quality note that brings you on a um, at times I'm really thinking I'm thinking classical music at this point because it can bring you on a real you know roller coaster of an emotional emotional journey and and I think there is a parallel between that and your online presence why rush it why why try to get to anything fast why why not take it at the right pace because I could speak from experience. We have built a business that has been has existed. PDG advertising has existed for three plus years at this point, and we have twelve customers, twelve core customers. Some others come and go, but we've twelve core customers, and we have just brought on our second full-time employee. So all the vital signs of our business are very strong. And PDG Advertising on Instagram has 160 followers. And I would rather have 160 followers and grow by one every week than rush to get to 10,000 followers and not create a quality following around our brand. And that's way more important to me than a mass of cosmetic followers that don't add any value and skew what you're trying to do. And I, I think that the point is, if you can't have the impact you want with 100 followers, at 10,000 followers, you're not gonna have that impact either. So how do you get to 10,000 fast? You don't, you take it at the pace that you need to take it at and that's how you do it. You don't try to rush that journey because when you try to rush that journey, you'll be treating people as numbers. You will be doing things on. I mean, there's a thing online now where people are dying because they're doing these ridiculous stunts in order to get more followers. And it's pointless. And I think that that's probably at the far end of the spectrum. But if you reel that back in, doing things that aren't about your brand or doing things that aren't important to your brand just in order to get followers to me that's wrong and unnecessary and you don't need to do it so in answer to lewis's wonderful question and i know it's not the there's no there's no secret sauce or there's no um silver bullet of information that will help to immediately get to ten thousand users but the point is you don't want to do that you want to take it at the right pace and you want to take it at the pace that where you learn how to build a quality following and and i'm what well, we're doing a pdg advertising and i feel it's getting stronger and better every day and i would recommend it not only because it's helping us with the business but it's so enjoyable too 
just like I mentioned in about the Instagram stories, I'm really enjoying doing those. So we try to do our best for our customers and we're trying to document that journey and that combination um, and exposing it on Instagram and Facebook and the other social media um, is of value to me. And I know that it will end up, we will grow a quality audience rather than um, an audience that might look strong, but under any level of scrutiny just falls down. Um, there's another agency in Belfast that I know of that uses a follow back strategy. And I'm not criticizing them totally because we've, I've done it before with, with whenever Twitter started, um, follow someone in order to get a follow back. That, you know, was something uh, that we did for, that I did for sure. But I learned really quickly, it was a really, really bad idea because your timeline gets completely flooded with people. So it becomes completely irrelevant, the, the people that you're following. And if you are doing it at mass scale to grow, you're going to be following really irrelevant people. And also the um, the, the connections are fleeting. You, you haven't created a strong connection with someone because they like what you do. It's just like a reciprocal um follow back it's like someone coming into your shop because you've asked them to not because as a friend friend have asked them to which which has some merit but not enough to make them stay and buy something so a real quality engaged audience is something that we're after and the question how to grow your instagram to ten thousand users fast it just misses the point of what you're trying to do so that would be my advice so the second question that was asked by Brenda, I really appreciate the question being asked, and it's about the right to be forgotten online. I think there was a pretty big case between Google and a French company um, in at least the last two weeks now that was all about the right to be forgotten and what that means is that companies have an obligation under the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation that came into force last year, to hold data for no longer than is necessary. And if someone asks for it to be deleted, that they do their best and make every attempt to delete the data that's held on that person publicly and privately and the situation that could arise from a massive company like Google operating in Europe is that they have so much information collated on anyone and if something went viral it could mean millions of pieces of information about that person um, being hosted on the Google search platform and how do you even begin to start to remove that data about a person? I don't know. And that's, that's part of what the case was about recently where Google in Europe have to make every effort to remove data that has been asked of them to remove, to be removed by a person. But they were set, they were asked to remove it globally as well outside of Europe and I'm pretty sure that they won that case and they don't have to remove it globally but I'm pretty sure they do have to abide by that GDPR law 
in Europe. I'm no expert on this. I don't really understand the ins and outs of it. I've written up a blog article on it. I think it's a very important subject for a digital advertising company. And full disclosure, I am a digital advertiser, so I don't want anybody to be forgotten online. <laughs> I want people to have so much data on them that I can then easily access it and then sell things from my customers to these people. And it's not just about selling things. It's about a freer flow of communication, of strong communication. It's a connection between a company and a and a person or a person and a person or a idea and a person. That data footprint helps us cut out the noise and get to the right people faster. But you have to balance that up with people's right to privacy. And if someone wants to be forgotten, then that's what that GDPR law is. But my opinion on the whole thing is in 2019, the right to be forgotten online is very difficult to police and very difficult to execute. As I said, if Google, if something goes viral about you on Google, how do you get all of those millions of pages taken down from across the web, I would imagine it would be impossible. And if you, even if you were able to do it, the amount of time it would take would be so so beyond what any one person would be able to do. And then if you had multiple stories that were going viral, how would any government or even the EU or... I just don't see how it's possible to execute that law. And as I said, I've done a blog post about it and I've put the actual article and I've read through the article. It's in very legal language. I can't say I completely get it and completely understand it, but the gist of it is you have to delete um, stuff if people ask you to about them online. And I just, I kind of disagree with the whole premise of it because in... 2019, the world is so, so data-driven, technology-driven. I mean, we learned recently about the ability for Facebook to know if you've been to a shop after seeing an advert based on the activity on your phone. And I think the price of being able to connect with people and being able to go on the internet and learn anything in seconds and all of that amazing stuff that comes from the internet, I think the price of that is handing over some of your activities on the internet because I don't think the internet works without that data on people. It can't be made better without knowing what people like and what people don't like online. If I did have a complaint about data gathering, it would be... Whenever someone, let's say, for example, Brexit, as the Brexit arguments were happening before 2016, the referendum, if that's when it was, I think it was June 2016. On the way to that, I noticed that all of the content on my news feed was very, very much pro-Remain because I'm pro-Remain and my footsteps up to that point online had created... Uh, targeting persona that said if I get the, this content I will like it so send me more of it and at a base level that's really 
simple and seems obvious, but it had an unintended consequence of me not seeing that it was even possible that the EU would, that the referendum would go in the way of the Brexiteers and that we would actually be leaving the EU. What that's called is a filter bubble. And it meant that I, I was thinking everything was fine because all of the indicators were that everybody was in agreement with my point of view and I didn't seek out alternative views. So that's a problem with the data capture and the data gathering, all of that, because then you're blindsided by things that may be happening on the opposing side's view. And the way to get around that is by exploring the other side's view. Surely that's healthy for any argument or any viewpoint that you hold. But aside from that, I, I think as a species, we will work that out. We will figure out what, what that's about and how to make sure that that it doesn't negatively... I mean, I think the Trump election and the Brexit um, election, both of those things have an element of filter bubbles in there where if people thought Hillary, Hillary would win and then she didn't, you just didn't see the ferocity of the other side and you become complacent and you don't campaign as much and maybe just a little bit more campaigning would have um, swung it in both of those big political seismic shifts of the landscape of, of from 2016 to 2019 is is something that I you know think is important that we figure out. But I think we will figure it out. The right to be forgotten is not something that I think is possible or needed. Um, I don't think that it's possible to do it. And I think the price of entry to the internet and <laughs> really the price of entry to 2019, if you want to stay current and you want to be awake, is to hand over your data. That sounds harsh, but... I think that that has enabled us to create a thing called the internet and it's a vital component of the internet and whenever you start messing about with that who knows what the unintended consequences are of that would we grow slower would we be as connected would we be able to be as connected I don't know I know where my instinct tells me to go and it says handing over data is not such a bad thing and as an advertiser I don't call myself an ethical advertiser we're not going out to harm anybody with the adverts that we're running and I don't know of any other advertisers that are doing that they just want to sell products and the the companies are doing a good job of like I know the regulations on Google and Facebook ads like you can't promote anything that is illegal or immoral or very left-leaning there's no you can't even have gun. You can't even have gun. Gun average. I agree that you shouldn't have gun adverts. I don't think people should be buying guns, but you can't have those. You can't. You can't sell like cannabis online. You can't sell adult products. There's a whole raft of policies in terms of conditions that I think is fine to, you know, regulate that issue of people following you around the, the internet. And as I said, the only concern I have is the filter bubble, where the echo chamber that is created around you whenever you don't look at other people's opinions online can leave you really open to being blindsided by something big that's happening that you're not getting the experience of. So the way to 
combat that is to look at other things across the internet and look for opposing views and get a broader spectrum of the opinions around any topic that you are interested in. So the next question came from Lewis again, and it's what makes a great logo? And that's a wonderful question. We at PDG Advertising have not always been called PDG Advertising. First of all, we were called Peter Doak Global and we had a suited logo to suit that. Over time, the logo has evolved into PDG Advertising and we've got a nice icon in the shape of a P with a sharp point at the front of it and we're really pleased with it. What's interesting is I know that that logo won't be the same logo in a year's time. I know that along that journey we'll likely change the logo again and I've got some ideas in mind but even in the three and a half years we've been open we've changed logos already and the Apple logo is probably one of the most famous logos that exists in the world. And if you know what the Apple logo, well, if you don't know what the Apple logo looked like whenever Apple first started, then check out the blog at PDG Advertising and look for what makes a great logo blog post. And you'll see what the first Apple logo looks like. I'll try to describe it here now. It's like a frame but more like a mirror picture frame with some banners running across it saying apple computer company at the top and bottom and it has a picture of sir isaac newton i believe with an apple falling from the tree or about to fall from a tree and i think that's synonymous with an idea someone having an idea i'm not sure if the word eureka is the correct term but that's what that logo is and i gotta say it's an absolute mess it's like it doesn't look like any logo i've ever seen before it would never work it would never work in small form it's black and white it's not very nice and it is not even resemble it doesn't even resemble the apple logo of today so fast forward to today and the present day logo is sharp it's circular it's an apple it's got a bite out of it it's beautiful it's renowned it's known the world over and it's so good that it's a fashion icon whenever you see someone sitting with their iMac or Airbook on a table and they're having coffee and it's all very cool and they've got that uh, laptop open. It's not even called a laptop, it's a MacBook open and the backlight shining up through the top of the macbook illuminating that beautiful clean crisp apple logo just looks cool and it's a really beautiful one but that's the evolution going from something that just doesn't resemble the brand at all to something that personifies and embodies the the brand and that's the kind of journey that logos need to go through and why i'm telling you all this about the journey of our logo and the journey of apple's logo is because the first logo that you do will not be the one that you end up with 10 years later. So the trick is to just do your best. Do the best job that you can at your logo. Make sure that it has your brand colors and it feels like your brand and it's in some way relevant. Even the Apple logo from back whenever it was first formed, 
still in some way relevant. They probably overthunk, overthunk, overthought it a little bit, but it's still quite relevant. It has a name on it, and it has um, an apple being highlighted in it, and it's got it's highlighting an idea. And I think that's very much what Apple is all about. So you can see the seeds, <laughs> if you excuse my language, the seeds of the Apple business in that first first logo. And, and I think that's the most important thing, that it personifies and embodies your, your business. It's always good to get some fresh eyes on a logo, though. Having your logo user tested by people who don't know who you are and asking them if they remember what your logo said or how it looked or how it felt is a good way to gauge how memorable your logo is. The one thing I would suggest is to keep writing to a minimum. There is zero writing on the Apple logo. It's just an apple. It's a symbol. And the less writing, I think, the better. Now, with my logo, the PDG advertising logo, there's a lot of writing on it, but in time, that will reduce dramatically. And another thing, the Facebook logo, the name of Facebook was not always just Facebook. At a time it was the Facebook, but they dropped that and Facebook became one of the most successful movements companies in the history of the human race. So I suppose another thing that makes a great logo is looking at whatever people have done and seeing how it has worked out. And the other thing is that you don't copy anybody's logo, like you shouldn't copy anybody's anything, but you can look and see what's about, but copying things isn't isn't such a good idea. I think a circular logo is a good idea. I think I see that a lot, like Pepsi and you know other brands like Starbucks. I see circle logos doing very well. You could make the case that Apple have a fairly circular logo too, or at least it's in some way round. There's a there's a journey around it. I think the clarity of the Apple logo really stands out to me, which is which is good. So. Clarity on your logo is probably uh, very, very important, but I don't think you should stress about it. I think it's something that, you know, the first version of it will be the first version of it and it'll be version 1.1, 1.2. And over time, it'll become something that you know and, and really love. The other thing is any logo, the first time you do it is going to be, nobody's going to recognize it because nobody knows who you are. But over time, um, people will start to associate your logo with the brand. There's a lot of logos out there that are quite abstract. I don't really like them, but they still are fairly associated with the brand. I don't really understand the mermaid on the Starbucks logo, but I now associate that mermaid with Starbucks. So it really doesn't matter what you do, just as long as you're consistent and it looks professional. Our next question is again from Lewis. Really appreciate the questions, Lewis. Really um, great questions, and it's how to make a successful app and there is no more present time for apps than coming into October 2019. They are all important to our society. I suppose it's a good idea to give my opinion on some of the best apps that are out there and some of those that have had the most impact. And I'm going to say it, Tinder has probably is one of the ones that has had the most impact. I think there's something like one in three people meet online now uh, and it could be even more than that so that's a huge um thing and it's driven by by tinder I, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing for society in general but there's no denying that it's had a massive impact on the world and these dating apps very simple and 
they allow people to connect in a very very fast paced world and I, and I think that's what it's about time it's about see, trying to save time and being very into the customer journey I'm not sure if that's the right thing or the wrong thing because maybe we need to take more time over our relationships rather than you know connecting with a bunch of people online and that might not be the right way to um to to go about it but one other app that really does help with time and I don't see any problem with it at all because I don't see any value in sitting in the in in valuing the journey waiting for a taxi it's uber uber the uber app just changed things about two or three years ago where uber came online and people I, I think I don't think the difference is about it being an app where you can get a taxi I don't think that's what it's about I think it's about getting an app where you can see where the driver is because there's nothing as annoying as waiting for a taxi and just not knowing when you're going to be picked up. If you can see where that driver is, you can estimate how long it's going to take yourself. So that app has definitely put the power into people's hands. Now, here in Belfast in Northern Ireland, we have a couple of taxi firms here, Value Cabs and Phonic Cabs, and they have now that feature on an app where you can see where your driver is. I got to say... None of them work very well. <laughs> They're not very good. The, the companies are really good, but their apps just don't seem to be. And they don't really seem to connect up properly with the cars that are on the road. And I've never heard that complaint from Uber. Although I've heard some horror stories from Uber being overcharged and things like that. But the point is, these are incredible apps that have changed the, the world um, and disrupted them. Banking apps are another one for me that's very important. So... If you look at what's happened to branches in branches of banks, certainly here in the UK, but all over the world, I would imagine, with the advent of online banking and now banking apps, everything's just done outside of the branch. And it actually creates a little mini branch in your in your phone, which is incredible. Now, that's not good for the jobs that go with these branches. I would suggest that the time is to skill up if you're in any office-based public-facing job because the the online world is just making those roles obsolete so skilling up on digital in some way is is probably the right the right path but i hated going to, i mean you have to go to banks and you have to go to the cashier or you have to go to the person who's helping you you have to be there when it's open 24-7, in your pocket, uh, a branch is, is just quite quite incredible. And the last one of the examples is Google Maps. I mean, surely whenever Google Maps came out and was started to widely used, that the sales of sat-navs went down massively. And I guess the same thing happened to roadmaps whenever sat-navs came out. People didn't need them anymore. Um, being able to just put my phone on my dashboard and plug in where I'm going to go and get there and get an estimate of how much time it's going to take is just incredible it's you, you don't get lost anymore and you get to where you're going the quickest possible route you can even see whenever there's going to be traffic and all manner of cool stuff and that's just incredible to have in your in your phone when you think about it the apps on your phone just are just really powerful and i don't even think that these are scratching the surface of what of what is powerful so why I'm going through these examples, whenever we're talking about how to make a successful app, I think the only way an app is successful is if it actually does something of value and or if people enjoy using it. I mean, there are a million games apps out there that people love to use. So 
what my advice is to make a successful app is to have something that actually works and to do that you need to think the app through think about what it's going to do and why anybody would use it and if you wouldn't use it then don't bother using it now how to actually create it there's two ways you can create it one you can hire someone to do it for you with html and html5 knowledge and someone who is au fait with the two platforms on itunes don't think it's called itunes anymore the app store and the google play store so that they can upload that app to those vendors and also if you want to hire someone you could hire them on a platform called upwork there's loads of freelancers on there that will help you to get that app created now if you want to learn yourself how to do app creation there's a customer of ours stone river e-learning that can help you to do that just go to stoneriverelearning.com and you'll be able to find a, an app development course and that might be a real nice journey for you to to go on I, I think the last thing is just to make sure it's easy to use and works is two very important parts um the apps that i've mentioned before like um the banking apps very important for it to work and if it didn't it would break a lot of trust so it's very important for those apps to um, work and again i think this is quite like the logo where version one's not going to be perfect but you build on it for the next version and in 10 years you'll have the perfect app or whatever we'll be doing in 10 years time we'll be doing the virtual reality headsets i guess and apps on your phone will be a, a thing of the past there'll just be voice activated or mind activated app selection in your in your virtual headsets and, and that's how it'll be so yeah that those are the things that i think would make an app successful so the next item we have on the pdg advertising podcast episode 59 is our news roundup and there's a lot happening not all of it is specifically about digital advertising but some things are in the digital advertising realm so the first thing is payment giants abandon facebook's libra so libra is the cryptocurrency that facebook wants to create i think cryptocurrency is a big big thing i think bitcoin and well that's kind of it for the real ones that anybody knows cares about that has been kicked off in the last two or three years and i think in 10 years time cryptocurrencies will be commonplace i don't know 10 years time maybe 100 years time i don't know how long it'll be but i think the principle behind them is very good the blockchain is the technology that it's built on or the name of the types of technology that's built on and from what i understand it reduces the ability for people to defraud people and everybody is connected in the network so everybody knows when a transaction has taken place if you compare that to cash there's a lot of fraud that can happen people can steal it and just feels like a more secure peer-to-peer way to do money and to do the exchange of, of goods exchange of money for goods or services I, I suppose the hindrances of it is it's an emerging thing so there has been a lot of people defrauding it and cases of servers being thrown in the bin with millions of bitcoins on it well, maybe not millions of bitcoins i don't think there are millions of bitcoins but millions of pounds worth of bitcoins or dollars worth of bitcoins so that that's something that's emerging but facebook have created their own or are creating their own and i don't 
it says here that MasterCard, Visa and eBay and Stripe join PayPal in no longer supporting Facebook's effort to launch uh, a currency. The point of cryptocurrency, though, it should mean that we don't need those big people or people don't need these big people to do it. It should be more organic. And it really got me thinking this about Facebook as a business. It's more like a country. And in any country, it needs like laws, which are like its terms of service. And it needs um, a currency to pay for things. But I don't think this is even Facebook's first attempt at this. So it's quite possible that they will get through with this at some point. But who knows? I don't really know. It's just a very um, current argument and it maybe shows where we're going in the in the future. There is another story about um, cyber criminals are a threat to society. Well, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? But there's a lot here about how the UK needs to prepare itself for cyber attack. And I guess that will be the next war or the next or a, a possible next war where countries attack each other's um, computers. It obviously happens now, but I would imagine that you could do a serious amount of damage as a hacker to another country. And I think that that would be one battlefront for countries against each other. So what that means is that I think everybody needs to smart themselves up about you know, virus protection and making sure that they use safe practices online. Because I think it goes down to people being scammed and knowledge is power. So healthy suspicion of scams online is probably the starting point. But educating yourself on Google and about that is probably a very it's probably a very healthy, healthy thing to do. Everyone, that's it. That was episode fifty-nine of the PDG Advertising Podcast. I want to thank the question askers Lewis and Brenda who have helped to create this podcast, really enjoyed creating some content around it. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you have any more questions or you ever have any more questions, then let's uh, let's get them in and let's go through them on the podcast. As I said, I'll be working to get a different cover photo for next week's um, podcast. And let's see how we go. Well, here's to a great week ahead for everyone and whatever you're doing. And I will be back with you soon.